This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to the Osher Ginsberg podcast. I'm Osher Ginsberg. This is episode 100 and my guest today is James Matheson. You can find him on Twitter at James, M-A-T-H-I-S-O-N. More about him in a moment. But firstly, hello, here we are. Here we are. We did it. Episode 100. We've come a long way, you and me, because without you listening, I could never make this show. I would never make this show every week without you. I wouldn't. I'd do this because you're there, because you're listening, and I love that you're here. So thank you with all of my heart. Thank you. You've been with me through some very tough times, and you've been with me through some great times. I've been off meds, on meds, on heaps of meds, (laughs) on a few less meds these days. I've been, uh, let me see, I've been single. I've been tindering, trying to figure that part out. And then, well, no, crikey, single again. And uh, dating my current girlfriend. And then moving in with my current girlfriend. As you'll hear later, building flat pack furniture with my current girlfriend. <laughs> and doing some apprentice stepdad work with her daughter. You've been with me for all of that. You've been with me in Sydney, you've been with me in Brisbane, Los Angeles, New York, Utah, Amsterdam, Tel Aviv and Israel. You've been with me all over the world. You've been with me through all kinds of career ups and downs, personal ups and downs. You've been with me for all of it. And I've got to thank you so much because without you here every week, without the download numbers being what they are every week, I'd probably not make this show. But because so many of you listen, I make this show each week and I love that I get to do it. It's an honor and it's a privilege that you choose to take time out of your week 
to listen to this while you do whatever it is that you do. So thank you, you listening right now. Thank you because you, whether you know it or not, you help keep me sane. You help keep me sober and you keep me every day just kind of approaching serenity. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, if you're new, hi, that was a bit heavy. There's 99 other episodes. You, you can subscribe in iTunes. You can subscribe in the podcast app of your choice. Only the last 50 are up on iTunes. Everyone else is on uh, oshiginsberg.com or um, at SoundCloud. And you can send me an email, email at gmail.com. Thanks to everybody that wrote in this week. Thank you so much. Um, to check in with you, it's been, a, it's been another heavy-duty week for me. Uh, you'll hear me talk about it with Jim later in the show, so I won't double dip. I won't bore you with it twice. Uh, but, um, I'm actually trying out, I should tell you this. I'm trying out a new doctor here in Sydney, a new psychiatrist, because I do like my guy in Los Angeles. I like him very much, but he's in Los Angeles and he can't prescribe me meds from Los Angeles because I was living there for a long time. So me and this new doctor, we're just trying each other out, me and the new guy, because you can do that with doctors. You don't have to stick with the one that you go to first. You can try them out. And if they don't work, they don't work. It's okay. There's other, other ones. But it's important. It's so important to realize that if you're living with or know someone who's living with a mental health issue, it's totally okay if you'd like to change doctors, if you're not getting better, that is. If you don't like what they have to say to you, that's another story. It's another story altogether. But if you're doing everything they're telling you and you're still not getting better, it's okay. It's okay to see someone else about maybe seeing what your treatment options might be. It's okay. Um, on a completely different note, um thanks everybody who watched the bachelor here this week uh in australia if you're listening overseas i host a show called the bachelor in australia where i i wear nice suits and count roses ratings are absolutely huge and uh i'm blessed absolutely blessed to be on this show and i couldn't make this show without you because in tv you can't afford to make a show that doesn't rate you just can't so thank you and um just a heads up speaking of affording things i had a meeting this week with some people that would like to talk to me about advertising on this podcast. Now, I thought a long, long time about wanting to monetize this show, but I'm sure you understand that this show is one facet of my career and doing this show takes up time and energy when I could be working on things, other things. But I, I want to try and find a way to get paid to do this show, at least cover the costs of, of equipment and uh, website hosting and uh, travel because these things cost money. Um, but they're worth it because I like to, you know, if I can only talk to someone in Brisbane, I'll go to Brisbane, which I've done. Um, but yeah, that stuff costs money and I'd like to figure out a way to cover that. Um, I promise you, I promise you, I won't pick clients that don't resonate personally with me or fit in with what we talk about in this show. So I'm not going to be reading ads for a local butcher's shop. All right. You can be assured of that. So in coming weeks, you might start to hear some advertising on the show. And all it's going to allow me to do is make a better show because hopefully I'll be able to afford to travel more, more travel expenses to kind of jet around and talk to people face to face. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, I know you listen to a lot of podcasts. I know you hear a lot of advertising on podcasts and that's uh, hopefully going to start happening here. So on to my guest this week. For episode 100 of this show, I am proud, honored, and humbled to tell you that my guest for this landmark episode is none other than James Matheson, or as I used to like to call him, Jimmy the Sandstorm Matheson. The Sandstorm was his wrestling move. 
You can find James on Twitter at James, M-A-T-H-I-S-O-N. James and I were on-camera partners for the best part of eight years. Um, Jim and I started on cable music TV, a network called Channel V. Um, he started in 2000, not long after I started in 99. James and I toured the country. We toured around the world. We had AAA passes hanging off our necks. We were getting face-to-face with the biggest bands on the planet. And not long after we started that, in 2003, Jim and I were headhunted to be the hosts of Australian Idol, the singing show with the Australian version. At the time of the first grand final of season one, that first grand final was the highest rated non-news or sports television program in the history of Australian TV. James and I worked together for six seasons on that show before Jim stepped away. He and I talk about that in this conversation. And Jim and I had a working relationship where we were pretty much in each other's pockets six to seven days a week, for years at a time. Um, and I have to say this to you today. I say this to his face later on, but I mean it when I tell you that I learn something new from James every time I'm with him. He is like a masterclass of TV presenting, elocution, comedy, and compassion every time he opens his, every time he opens his mouth. He's the smartest, kindest, funniest person I've ever known. He's also fairly low-key. He flies under the radar a lot. So the fact that he agreed to do this interview today and he came up to my house is very, very special because he just really doesn't do these kind of things that much, if at all. So I'm really, really grateful to him. James might be off your TV right now, but be warned, he is about to explode, fully formed, as a new entity entirely, back into your homes, your laptops, and your smartphones. Um, soon, he'll be appearing on the Australian production of Celebrity Apprentice, but also he's going online to burst forth with what he describes as a political commentary show, which you'll get glimpses of today, the way he talks. Um, the working title, he told me, is James Matheson's Impotent Fury. Um, it's going to be amazing and I can't wait to talk to you more about it when it comes up. I truly love this man. I truly love him. He and I have a shared history that no other person on earth has. He and I were at the epicenter of the most incredible whirlwind of excitement for eight straight years and we both made it out the other side. He DJed at my wedding in Israel. He's been there for me through everything and I'm grateful he's in my life. If you thought you knew James Matheson, think again. You're about to meet the James Matheson that I've always known, the kind, caring, and forcefully compassionate James, the incredibly intelligent James, the loving father, the man who can smell bullshit from the horizon and call it how he sees it from a place of measured consideration. So come with me and enjoy a late morning cup of tea in my kitchen in Bronte, in Sydney, Australia. But I will warn you right now, I will warn you right now, James and I have known each other a very long time. And the conversation you're about to hear is like the conversations that he and I normally have, but we just recorded it. And so it's pretty sweary. There's a couple of Fs, a lot of Fs actually, and there's one C coming up. So just be aware that there's some fruity language in this one, but I left it in because. You know, that's kind of how we talk with each other because authenticity is what this show's about and that's what it is. So 
ladies and gentlemen, I'm very grateful that I can share this conversation with you with the one and only James Matheson. How's it all going? I'm recording now. How's it all going? It's going pretty good. Yeah, it's going all right. Um, I haven't been recognised on the street like this since the second season of Odd. Like people stopping me. Okay. Hey, I love the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Um, Batch. Yeah. Like, I mean, and men, men stopping it. me. Yeah. I think like, this season's like probably got it right. Yeah. Yeah. Good guy, likable, yeah. honest. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone I know is talking about it. It's crazy. Yeah. But what's is it rating? Yeah, but it's new ratings. Catch it's not up. old ratings. <laughs> Catch up. Yeah. yeah. It's not old ratings. Like when we used to get 2, 2.2. 2. Mm. There was no internet speed that could handle video. There was yeah. no 15 free channels. Mm. And so now, the meal is great. We get a peak of 1-1. One, one. People are Amazing. doing backflips. Yeah. Because we'll get those numbers again on catch-up. Yeah. So it's a two-mil show. It's so great. But I was how- talking to a guy about it this morning. He was talking about it. So <clears throat> he's, oh, I can't see. Okay, I, I won't look at you so I don't want to give anything away. But. Fucking, what's the Svetlana? What's the one with the kid? Snezana. He likes her, but he's like. No, Snezana, sorry. Snezana, he's like, nah, it's, she's a bit older, got a kid. No, it's not going to happen. <clears throat> That's my gut. Fucking Brisbane flight attendant blogger, food blogger. Nah, she's fucking, she's just hard work. The other blonde, I think she's kind of nice, but I just don't think there's anything there. Who's left? So fucking Heather, it's she's awesome. I would marry her. But it feels like she's being set up as like they've done in the past seasons where she's the front runner and then someone fucking swoops. Now that someone, I can, the only person I can think be that someone is the new intruder, but the intruders never win it. Anyway, that's my take <laughs> so far. It's very interesting. How are you today? Good. <laughs> I am so so grateful you're here. This is I, I, we've been wanting to do this for since I started this. Is this our one hundredth episode? This is the one hundredth episode. When I say our, really, it's yours. <laughs> yeah, but I wanted I've wanted you to do this since before I started. I should have brought cake and sparklers. There's a cup of tea. Yeah, that works. That's the new cake. I know the shift is on towards tea. So. A welcome, everyone, to a hooray! hooray! There we go. Cheers to and 100. 100. And in honor of the early episodes, here's some tea slurping. <sighs> People early on just would tweet and go, fuck off with the tea slurping. Enough with that, yeah. And I'm like, well, people come into my house, I hit record, mm. I've offered them a cup of tea, we're drinking tea mm. as we talk. It's real. That's how it works. It's raw, people. If you don't like it, go and listen to, you know, what's another popular podcast. WTF. Yeah. Oh, don't do that. Well, he's really good. He had the president come to his garage. <laughs> so what happens? People come into your house and you ask them questions. Yeah. They sit in that chair and drink cups of tea. Mm. And Is we, everyone we like me hooked up to a polygraph or did you just do that because <laughs> we're friends? Uh, no, I'm, I've, I've just done that for you. Okay. Yeah. There's a paternity test coming later. 
All right. I don't have to like pee into a cup or anything. Oh, that's afterwards. It is weird you took a hair sample. <laughs> On the way in. Yeah. <laughs> I just I just want to be sure. Science. Science. I was wearing my Neil deGrasse well, I'm into I'm into uh, answering questions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And well, talking. I don't typically like talking about myself, but I like the show and I love you. So I think those two things we can, you know, make a show. Well, good. Well, I think what's important first and foremost to realise is that I've known you for 16 years now. Mm-hmm. And when I knew you, the concept of you living in the eastern suburbs of Sydney was like impossible. Mm. Well, I'm from the northern beaches and it's sort of it's known as the dark side when you move from what's called the insular peninsula or God's, God's country. country. Yeah. <laughs> Although the shy call themselves God's country as well. So any sort of coastal area that is um, a little community tends to jump on that bandwagon. Yeah, that's right. So you would never move from the northern beaches to the eastern suburbs. But then in probably about 2005 I discovered Gordon's Bay which is if anyone knows Sydney, they'll probably know Gordon's Bay. It's a little pocket in between Coogee and Bronte. They might not know it though. Is that the diamond? That's the secret hope diamond of Sydney that people Mm. have no idea is here. So let's, if you are listening and you've heard of Gordon's Bay through this podcast, the waters, they're terrible. They're sharks. Heaps. Blue Um, bottles all year. Yeah. And you'll probably live. your feet on the rocks. Don't go there. That's what I actually tell people because it is the it is the best spot in Sydney. You it know? truly is. And there's few places where, because it's a city of five million people, like at six a.m., you can be in the water swimming by yourself in summer. You know, mm. it's extraordinary. I really yeah. love it. And so Gordon's Bay was sort of my first foray into the eastern suburbs, and I have kept going back there. You know, I think I've lived there three or four times in three or four different places. Yeah, mm. it's it's a Beautiful part of the world. I love the. I live in Bronte now. Bondi be damned. I'm done with it. It's not my speed Over. at all. Yeah. I, I, it was good for the time <clears throat> when I was just drunk and crazy. But yeah. now I'm about eucalyptus trees and rainbow lorikeets. Yeah. And, not as know, drunk, not as crazy. Not as drunk, not as crazy. I rode my bicycle up that hill. I, was that the lot. initial name of the podcast? Not as drunk, not as crazy. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it should be. Yeah, that's your book probably. Maybe, yeah, maybe maybe I'll go from episode 101. Maybe I'll change it. <laughs> but it's nice to find somewhere where you're like, ah, oh, this feels like yeah. my And you were right. When I, when I first got here, you said, yeah, old Southhead Road be damned. Once you're on that Queen's Park, no, honestly, no matter what time of day, mm. I rarely get snarled on the way into town. Totally. It's... The secret. Yeah. It's the secret. It sounds like bloody an LA podcast, people talking about traffic. We're getting there in <coughs> Sydney. Come on. Mm. People start, you know, talking about M4s and M5s oh, yeah. and motorways <clears throat> and tunnels that don't work. And Have yeah. you done Vic LaRusso from the um, no, traffic should, chopper? I should, though. For the podcast? Like, he could talk traffic. You could do it from the traffic chopper. chopper. It's 27000 bucks an hour. It's a lot of, it's more than my budget. At the mm, moment, yeah, right. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty expensive. I, um, and and you know this. I've always, in many ways, I, I moved around a lot. And when I first came to Sydney, I really, I broke a lot. I broke the coveting commandment about you quite a lot because you had a lot of things that I coveted quite greatly. You had a community of people that you'd grown up with. You were home here in Sydney. 
So even if it didn't work out, whatever what it was that you're working out, you still had your friends and family and familiarity. Mm. But particularly your family, you came from a, a big family, didn't you? Well, come from a big family. Yeah, I'm one of five kids, so there's seven of us, and I guess that um, you don't think that that's extraordinary. But I think the more people you meet, the more you realise that not many people have you know four siblings, mm. um, and less and less, I think. You know, yeah. people these days have, you know, two kids. Three is a big decision yeah. in modern really is. society, you know. Yeah. Um, it's like a luxury almost to have three kids. So, um, yeah, I was pretty blessed, I reckon. So I've got not only four siblings but four sisters and, um, yeah, we're all pretty close, which I think another thing is you realise as you get older that that's also a rarity, you know. And something you take for granted. It definitely was very evident that I'd grown up in a house full of boys and you'd grown up in a house full of girls mm. when I first met you because your energy about things and your, like, because with boys, we're territorial. We're just a bunch, we're like dogs at a barbecue. We bark a lot until we figure out who's in charge, mm. which when you're boys and growing all the time, that shifts constantly and it's, it's unstable. You had this compassionate energy about you that, uh, which are you? There's a younger sister than you, isn't there? I've got a younger sister, yeah. Emma, um, who is the baby of the family, but she's um, wonderful in that she has a very, you know, soft energy as well. I think, and I've got three older sisters, obviously, who are all uh, amazing and brilliant in their own way. But yeah, it's hard to work that out. Sometimes people say that to me. You know, this has happened because you've got four sisters or you like that because you've got four sisters. And it's tricky sometimes to unscramble the parts of you which are your actual true self, your essence, mm. and what is virtue of your upbringing. You know, and I think everyone sort of thinks about that sometimes. Yeah. Which part is me would be intangibly me regardless of where I grew up and what my background was or what my birth order is and who my parents were and which part of me is a product of that. Mm -hmm. And you probably think about that. Well, I do all the time from what I know and certainly dealing with the things that I've dealt with and deal with, 50% uh, of it as far as I'm aware and far as the, you know, the science that I've looked into tells, 50% of it is you're born with it. Yeah. Your disposition, yeah. Uh, your... So it's half-half. Your predication, yeah, your predication towards anxiety or... Or, or anger or whatever that that's that's definitely the gift of your parents much like our facial structure and you know yeah that sort of thing i look at my girls and like immediately there's parts of them that are their true selves like regardless of how we raise them regardless of what happens in their life there's temperament there's um bits of their personality which from the very first day they were born, I know that they're going to retain, mm. which that's is fascinating, amazing. you know, and exciting yeah. that that's them and sort of being present with that and aware of it and letting that bit flourish, yeah. <clears throat> when you were born, did your dad just go like high-fiving? Oh, boy, finally. I'm pretty sure they were high-fives. Yeah, yeah. yeah. More, probably cigars. Probably cigars in the hospital. It was the 70s. Yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah, he was stoked, you know, and my mum was stoked as well. Yeah, I think, you know, for her it was wonderful as well, having a boy. But at the same time, what I've learned, I reckon, as um, I've had kids is that 
when you think about, oh, I'd like a boy or like a girl, when they come out, it doesn't matter. You just don't give a shit. Like, you know, if the, if my girls have been boys or if we have another kid and it's another girl, you, it's overrated. Gender is really overrated. Tended fingers and toes can <laughs> blink and breathe, can eat. Yeah, and also there's so much joy that comes with either, you know. It's less about them. It's more about you. Really? That's So the gender is overrated. That's the yeah, parents' construct? Yeah. yeah. I want to get what I want. The child doesn't give a fuck what you want. The child chooses you, comes into the world. And, you know, the gender is a part of it, but it's it's secondary to, like, who they are at their essence. Anyway, yeah. but I think that's it's natural probably to want one gender or the other, but it's also a little bit selfish, you know. Did you always <laughs> think about the gender role that way? I mean, you went to an all-boys school, right? Yeah, which I think was great to offset you know, having a house full of girls. Yeah. But, no, I don't think I always thought that way. I just I feel like, you know, as you get older, you realise that a lot of it's just, you know, so much is tied up in gender mm. and so many, so much programming, so much, um, so many constructs around gender which really are just, you know, not real. I, the other show I do for the Movember, uh, November radio, it that it's just all about that the roles that we put on men and how men's societal pressure to not seek help when help is evidently needed mm. is devastating not only to them but to their families yeah. and their entire community yeah. only because we as a society have gone yeah. you have to be strong yeah. at all times yeah which is bullshit. <laughs> And like last night, for example, I, I had a really tricky day. I said I got triggered really hard and I was, you know, it was really very, very tough for me. And at the end of the night, I'm, I'm sitting on the couch with Audrey and I was terrified to tell her the crazy shit that was going on in my brain. Mm-hmm. But I know that I'm in a relationship where whatever I'm afraid of telling her, whatever I'm afraid her reaction will be, is probably about four to five times bigger than what her actual reaction is. Yeah, and that's the and same. It's always the case. Anything, you know, whenever we want to make a big decision or have something in our head that we are terrified of, you know, the reality is never quite what we think it's going to be. Yeah. It's always, you know, much smaller. But yeah, I think you know that's a tricky one as well. I've, bought, you know, I'm a pretty sensitive man. And, like, I'm a big hugger as well. But I've also, you know, been pretty happy to share that, you know. I've never really bought into that machismo bullshit. Yeah. Mm. But also I've got currency with that. Like, I like sports and I'm good at sports and I think that's sort of, that's there's such value in that in our society, which is kind of rubbish. Mm. When did the sport thing turn up? How old were you? Do you remember? No, I just always liked, I liked running, I liked soccer. And, you know, when you're enjoying it as a kid and, you know, you do it. And I always loved sports movies, yeah. I think somewhere in that is there something about being a sensitive man as well, I think. You know, I was really always moved by, like, grand final celebrations or great sporting stories, you know, not just on a level of, like, hit the ball, catch the ball, watch a child crowd cheer you know it's the when you think about it and i don't think there's a lot of people who do there's like 
really great. Sport can be a great microcosm for, you know, humanity. Mm. Yeah. And what was it about that? that grand final celebration, did you have it? Did you, did you have an empathic response? Was there, did you also feel like you owned the victory? Did you get goosebumps? No, I think you get goosebumps. I think I've always loved the idea of someone who is 100% certain about what they want to do. And athletes often are, like to a point where they're obsessive, you know. Yeah. I always find that. They kind of have to be in some respect. Yeah, I find that wonderful that there are people out there who know exactly what they want to do and give up everything and 99% of what they do in a day is geared towards one goal, what they eat, how they sleep, their relationships, where they live. If you want to win an Olympic medal, then your entire life has to be about that. I find that's fascinating. Yeah. Who does that? No, there's no other career where what you put into your mouth to what time you wake up to what sort of relationship you have are predicated on a goal in four years' time. That could be eight <clears throat> seconds long. Yeah, and could mean you don't achieve it by, you know, 0.01 of a second. Oh, my God. You know? Isn't that amazing? It really is. <clears throat> but it also shows you that it's kind of ridiculous. But it's wonderful. Yeah. In the end, I think, you know, there's a great, there's some great lessons in that about, oh, my God, is this what it is? Just rambling. This is, we ramble. It's no, this rambling. is what it is. <clears throat> because you know what's great is it, this is a this is the kind of conversation you and I have anyway. Yeah. All right. And and what's great is when I do this show, I really want people who, to feel like they're sitting in that chair mm. there, and they're just not, you know, like you you've got to be monk like to win an Olympic medal. Absolutely. You know. You really do. And for what? Why do you want to do that? For acclaim? For your ego? What is it about it that makes you want to give up? so many different things and how can you focus your mind so wholeheartedly on something which isn't actually real like an olympic medal is a creation by it's all in agreement it's, it's an agreement all in agreement <clears throat> i had that the other day with uh we took um the kid to the wallabies we took her to the Bledisloe cup membership has has its privileges i knew that Channel 10, the network I work for at the moment, was broadcasting. So I emailed the publicist, hey, I'd really like to take my girlfriend's dad to the Bledisloe Cup. And she came back with three tickets so I could take the kid as well. Yeah. And the kid's dad plays NRL, so league. She's only ever known league. So I'm trying to explain union to this girl, trying to explain them all. Well, no one understands you. Right. But as I'm doing it, I'm like, this entire stadium, 60-something thousand people at the Olympic Stadium in Sydney are all just in on an agreement that it's important that this guy in the yellow should get over there with the ball <clears throat> and that's it. It, it, no, it doesn't actually matter but we have all made it matter to the point where we've paid hundreds of dollars to come here and we'll be sad for a week if it doesn't happen mm. and it's all an agreement. Yeah. I am... Excited about a group of men from my general geographic area <laughs> competing against a group of who men. Who I don't know. Who I don't know. Against a group of men from your general geographic area. Yeah. Playing a sport I don't really understand. The Olympics is great in that sense because for about three days we give a fuck about diving. Mm. Like when do you ever think or care about diving? But for three days... 
Every four years, we'll go, oh, fuck, oh, look at his entry. Oh, wow, not much splash there. We're fucking experts. And also we care. Like, right, look at this strategy. He beat the Chinese guy. It's amazing. And we don't really care about diving, but what we care about is patriotism. What we care about is nationalism. And in many ways, sport is just you know, a healthy tool for that to be channeled. I try and explain that to American. I tried to explain. I worked um, when I was working overseas in LA. I worked with uh, the, the guys I worked with were with the Dodgers, mm. um, uh, with the LA Dodgers. And I was trying to explain to them the concept of cricket and that we, unlike you, actually play other countries and put at risk our national pride. Mm. America doesn't do that. America unless it's the U.S. soccer team, women's have won the World Cup a few times and then they suddenly give a fuck about women's soccer. Mm. Men's haven't. Um, what I was trying to explain to them, like if we actually replay your war of independence through a cricket match every couple of years, Australia versus England, and if the English hit a really good hit, if they hit a four or a six, we will applaud them. And they just couldn't fucking believe it. Mm. They couldn't believe that kind of sportsmanship. Um was was a part of it um the and that you know that that is an interesting i was going to ask you about that oh fuck i had something that was really good um oh never mind um oh yeah yeah the olympics i just wanted to reframe that you said who does that who gives up their entire life well in my opinion it has to be that monk-like experience is the reward the journey is the reward knowing a few people who who do those kind of events, particularly like triathlon or cycling mm. events I've, I've known now, the training is the, and that lifestyle is the reward. It's for someone like me who yeah. has, a, you know, some interesting obsessional tendencies, I get on my bike and I can do the same thing. All I have to do is move my feet in this way and breathe for five hours. I don't have to do anything else. It's yeah. absolute serenity. Yeah. Absolute serenity. Mm. If I'm dealt with, Decisions, I've got to pick up this text message, I've got to do that, I've got to do the thing from I've got to take the rubbish out, I've got to do it's too much, so much chaos in my day. So to be in that binary kind of this is all I'm doing, and when I'm not doing it, then I'm doing that thing. It's almost like being in the military, in that you're told what to do all day, and it, it, it suits a certain personality type. And I think that must be the only thing, because if you're doing it for the for the glory, no one gives a shit. Um, and just on the diving thing. I think as Australians, like Americans watch the Olympics. I've been over there for a few Olympics. They watch the Olympics in a, a, a post-produced, edited, two-hour American Idol backstory version with the event just tacked on at the end, mm. all right? They follow them back to their farm. We're starting to do that as well. But we will also watch it simultaneously on three channels, on Foxtel and whatever. And while we may not have any Australians in the diving final, as you say, we will go, well, that's really you know, we will enrol ourselves mm. in, in, in another person's success. I think that's yeah. okay. Yeah. Although we're not really that interested if, if an Australian's not involved, you know. Yeah, you're right. And we're only interested in the Australians involved if there's a good, you know, voice or X Factor backstory. Yeah. It's, What's the journey? What's the journey? What's the journey? That's yeah. a, your journey. Really? <laughs> The big Australia screen. didn't vote for you, but let's look at your journey <laughs> on Australian Idol. Um, so being in a you know this estrogen filled home, and then suddenly turning up to an all boys school mm. was it? Oh, I'm, I'm, this is good. 
Uh, I don't think there was that. I think, you know, you always want to be, um, as a young bloke, like sort of around other young blokes because you're not aware of girls really till you know, you're 17. I don't know, 16, 17. So Much to the like, chagrin of girls that age. Yeah. But so, I mean, you don't really want to or notice girls early on. So, you know, I was in primary school. Yeah, it was great being around boys. Just play handball, you know, throw a footy. That's all you wanted to do. So it's kind of cool that you didn't have to think about girls being in there, yeah, getting in the way, taking up a spare handball court, you know. But I think um, it's nice that, yeah, some of my best friends now are still, you know, blokes that I went to school with. Yeah. I like that. And a lot of that is geography as well, you know. Yeah. I'm lucky that I've got I've got one. He lives down the street, Heggy. Heggy, I've known him since I was eight. Mm. And he lives down in Coogee. And to have that guy in my life is I consider it an absolute blessing. Yeah. An absolute blessing. Has he done this podcast? He he has. He was an early uh first one of the first ten, I think. He's a funny man. Yeah, he really he's doing really good. He's doing really, really well. Um, so how was high school for you? Were you was it okay? Was it was it tough? Was it? Yeah, I don't can't relate to people who tell me high school was tough. You know, I had a really like well rounded, enjoyable high school where I did a lot of extracurricular activities because I I hated studying. I just I don't. Can I have ADHD? Would I know that? Would I have? Could I have ADD? Adult ADD? Probably. You're saying, have you, did you just diagnose me? No, I'm just thinking because I've known you for a long time and I certainly am sure that, I mean, sometimes Audrey complains that I run around and she calls it a fugue state, that I just can't do the same thing for too long and I, I, I couldn't never study myself. doesn't mean I'm not smart. No, that's the thing. And I think also on that, education needs to really pull its socks up in terms of recognising that having NAPLAN and metrics and tests only sort of rewards a very small segment of kids who are good at that skill set. Well, it was so a, there's these brilliant, creative, very clever kids who just don't learn like that and aren't able to regurgitate answers like that. And I feel like they get, especially in poorer areas, get left behind. Mm. You know, there is no outlet for them and, and it's very difficult. So I think that's our education system really needs to work on like well, rewarding it, these kids, these amazing kids. You didn't do well on a test, well, you're a failure. Yeah. You couldn't recall that information, well, you're a dropout, you know? No journey for you. No journey for you. <laughs> Don't stop believing, though. That's the only journey you're going to enjoy. Steve Perry sort of stuff. Well, I was talking about this the other day, that our education system is based on uh, education systems that came after the Industrial Revolution, which were basically designed to create workers for these factories. Yeah. And it's most of Western. Yeah, and society. even then it was based on, I think, with the Prussians. That was the, the system they used to train their soldiers. You know, this many hours a day, start at this time in the morning, have a break at that time, and it's school periods, all right? That system has existed only since the Industrial Revolution, and it was just exactly that. It was designed to spit out at 15 someone who could sit on an assembly line and then enter into that workforce and then work their way up to retirement in the same corporation. It's not at all designed for our current uh, society or even economy. My school might have changed heaps before we went to school. Yeah, probably. That. <laughs> probably. But I remember... You can't hit kids anymore. No. I know that much. 
Did you get here to school? No, no, I was a bit late for that. I did. (laughs) Which, thank goodness. I asked for it. Yeah. I needed it. And did it help? Fuck yeah, it did. Did it not just make you sneakier? I used used to get into arguments with my ex-wife about this all the time that at the time I was such a precocious, fat little cunt and I was so smart-assed that absolutely no communication would get through to me, nor would I let it get through to me right. until one day when I went just just too far mm. and the foremaster was like, Ginsburg, I'm very disappointed in you. Put your hand out. And I, fuck, it hurt. And I was after that, I was like, oh, right. There's consequence. Mm. There is consequence. Yeah. And so, but that, surely there's other consequences that might have cut, cut through to you. Maybe, hey, maybe at the time though, at the time. <laughs> well, that was... there's people nowadays who think that that's why we've got unruly youth is because we can't hit them, you know. Mm. But yeah, I refuse to believe that. But good for you. Well, I would never advocate any kind of hitting. Mm. Um, there, and probably there might have been a way better way to deal with me at the time that everyone just wasn't aware of. Yeah, and maybe hadn't even been developed at that point. But at that point. That moment, I even remember the teacher's name. I remember what I did. And thankfully at my 10-year reunion, I got to talk to the teacher and I got to say sorry to him. Did you? he remember smashing you? Uh, no, another teacher smashed me. Oh, right. oh, he outsourced the smashing. Yeah, the foremaster was the only one who was allowed to do it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and I got to say sorry to him. And, but, yeah. He didn't know who the fuck you were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. They remember. He remembered the moment too. I remember the moment. But, yeah, when you think about the education system that your kids, how far away is your oldest from going in? Like three years? Two years? She'll start Montessori this year. Jeepers. Mm. Yeah, which is very much about trusting the child, independent learning, trusting what they feel like they're, what they're interested in, which is to a lot of people it's sacrilege. But, yeah, it feels like it works for us and for her. Well, my younger brother... Martin is a Montessori kid. Yeah. And he now is a massive executive at the Ford Motor Company in China. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> he went on to do two university degrees. And, yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's good stuff. Just it, it, trust their nature, you know, yeah. that they are more able and more capable than we give them credit for, even at a really young age. You know, I look in there sometimes and there's two year olds using scissors and with a knife cutting bananas. And if you told me that before, I learned about Montessori and learned about, you know, different ways of parenting. I would have been like, you know, you have a bloody two-year-old a knife. That's crazy. But you tr- you have to trust them, you know. They cut themselves. They're going to cut themselves once. That sounds like terrible parenting, right, at the face of it. But you trust them to be able to, you know, know where the limits are, you know. You give them a butter knife, and then we're going to learn that that doing that with a knife cuts them. Yeah. Anyway, I'm not giving small children knife. <laughs> this sounds terrible. This sounds like I have no understanding. No, mate, I'm getting it though. <laughs> I get what you're saying. I do get. I do get what you're saying. What could but I have been amazed at the things that you know a two year old can do: sewing, you know, mm. setting the table, just trusting them, you know, and they want to help. They naturally want to contribute. So, yeah, I think. Isn't that interesting? They naturally want to contribute to the, to the clan. Absolutely. But we disempower them. No, I'll do that. 
no, 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 don't do that. You can't touch that because you'll break it. You'll break it. You'll make a mess. You'll hurt yourself. So you're constantly telling kids you're not able because you'll ruin it or um, if you get involved, it won't be as good. They're the subconscious things you say to a kid when you're saying, no, 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 don't do that. No, you'll break it. You'll make a mess. And you tell them that keeping something clean or keeping something intact is more important than trusting them with something. That's what they hear. So, yeah, I mean, if you don't want to have a dirty house, then don't have kids, you know. <laughs> like you let them explore. But know that they've got to put stuff back as well, yeah. I know, but you learn. My oh God, it's been a crazy learning curve Yeah, for me. Yeah, and growing up, having to grow up very fast. I think I had a bit of arrested development going on there, I think. Oh, really? Before I had kids. Yeah, don't, don't most males who've, you know, grown up. Just become a man child. Yeah. When I think about our parents' generation, they were 22. Think, if they went to uni, they were having kids at 25 and that was late. Mm. Do you think our parents' generations, it would have been even remotely socially acceptable for a 35-year-old man to be playing PlayStation? Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Any Sundays on the couch? No way. No but it's kind of like a joke now you know and it's acceptable and that's like a whole generation of young men out there mm. poor girls poor ladies looking poor for ladies. a proper man yeah there's only one of them he's on the bachelor getting right stoned now and <laughs> yeah there's a guy on the bachelor will this go to will this be over by the time no no i'm putting this out on monday oh wow well i my money's on can we just will this ruin anything no 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 but i'm gonna i'm gonna cover my face yeah. So you cannot read any of micro expressions because you can read me better. I than think anybody. it's the bloody intruder who wins. I don't know her name, but she's a brunette. The brunette with pretty eyes who is it an intruder? Is that what they call them? What do they call them? <laughs> yeah, they got called intruders. Intruders like big brother. <laughs> um so Andrew's got his hands over his yeah. face. Because he doesn't want to give anything away to I me. I won't give anything away. But I remember that you would very early on, via um, legal means or not, you were just coming to work raving about, oh, my God, Survivor. You, oh, yeah. well, that's not, this is not, that, that's untrue and unfair. Like, I don't watch much TV, but I am obsessed with Survivor and I always have been. So if you say I watch more TV than anyone you know, that's completely inaccurate. Okay. I probably watch more Survivor than anyone. More Survivor then. Sorry, I do apologise. If, if anyone is listening right now and has never watched a full season of Survivor, I know what you're thinking, you know, you probably saw a bit of it a few years ago. You probably have dipped in and out. That's not how you watch Survivor. You have to watch Survivor from the very start to the very end. And you go, oh, I've got Game of Thrones to watch. I haven't even caught up with Broad City or Girls or what are, what are, what are young people into? 
Breaking gossip, Breaking Bad, Gossip Girl, gossip no, 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 Girl. no, nobody watches Orange yep. is the New Black. Nobody watches anything on television. Everything's no, on a laptop so or their phone. Do yourself a favor. In a few months' time, the new season of Survivor is coming out. You can download it, or you can watch it on. I think you can watch it on Go. Uh huh. And just what you don't have to watch the whole season. Just watch the first four eps, and then if you're not into it, I will eat my hat. It is the most well shot, brilliantly designed game. There is and probably will ever be on TV. Amazing. Alliances, backstabbing, manipulation, um, teamwork, deception, double crosses. Brilliant. It's amazing. Anyway. I will, will you watch, will you watch I the will, first few I apps? will do that for you. What's, maybe just binge the first three then. Download them and watch the first three. I will. Go, okay. For Not you, for I me. will. Okay. For you, I cool. will. I've got to figure that out. Figure this out. And check out Jeff Probst. He's, he's the best host on TV. Yeah. You know, you're into good hosts. I love it. He's just the man. I remember we tried to sell Greg Vanessa, our executive producer on Idol. We tried to sell him the idea of us on jet skis arriving at the Opera House yeah. probe style. It wasn't no, going to happen. I think at one stage they were, they were in talks for us to do what Hugh Jackman did. Yes. Actually zipline from... The, the top, top of the opera house to sort of Mrs. Macquarie's chair, like that was in yeah. early discussions. Yeah, I remember they asked me. Greg certainly asked me. I was like, absolutely, I'll do it. Yeah. He had the company. I think it was the same company. Yeah, didn't work out for Hugh though. No, that's all right. Ah, well, he's doing okay. Hugh, is he? On, have you podcasted Hugh? Not yet. He'll do it. He's I reckon, lovely. I reckon he'll do it. Yeah, yeah, I reckon he'll do it. Um, just very, very quickly, I've just got to change batteries. Please. Yeah, go for it. Okay, so hold on. Sorry. Okay, we're back. Um, I've, whenever anybody asks me about you, I always tell them the same three things. Oh, yeah. I say he's the smartest person I've ever met. He reads a book a week and I've learned more from him than anybody I've ever met. And, oh, that's very sweet. But it's, it's the truth. Fairly, well, it's actually not. I don't read a book a week. we we got kids now, but back then. At one stage I was trying to, yeah. Yeah. And it was probably, it probably was like two a month. And you were very patient with me. Two a month is still epic. Epic. But that's like, that is a long time ago. Yeah, but still, it was when, when I met you. And you were always, you're always very, um, very calm in explaining. I remember there was one particular time when I started getting enormously incensed at uh, the Daily Telegraph, a newspaper here in Sydney that is just basically poking the bear the whole time. And you had to sit me down and just kind of explain why they do what they do. And it had, it had just ne- – I was very reactionary. I just couldn't understand why someone would deliberately be so mean in print. Mm. And you had to explain it to me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and did you understand it? Yeah, I did. I did because you said, look, it's just emotional. It's emotional. People react to fear. And if they, you print something, it doesn't matter how true it is, if you print something that – people are afraid of, they'll read it. Mm. And, and, and if your business model is getting people to read your product, then it's in your interest to yep. provoke emotion, you know. That, and so the, but that's like that's not just the telegraph. Yeah. That's pretty much every newspaper on earth, you know. And in the, it's definitely the main the front page and the cover and the headline, you know, and most sub editors, they'll think, okay, 
well, how can I make this read so that people will respond to it, you know, on an emotional level? Yeah, totally. I mean, imagine like what's what's in today's paper? I don't know, but I, you know, I won't imagine give my like money. A, a level-headed, you know, analysis of what's happening in the world, <laughs> or something not out of the ordinary, you know. Yeah, you know, population figures stable, you know, GDP pretty standard, you know, most people fairly happy. Yeah, that doesn't sell some papers, you know, and also what they're very good at those papers. Uh, perpetuating the, this idea of uh, a constant other, you know. There's always someone else or another group who's responsible for your current plight, whether it's drug dealers or drug addicts or refugees or the people on welfare or um, people of colour or uh, the rich, you know. The, the papers like that are brilliant at always being able to create another group separate from the reader who is to blame for what's going on currently, you know. And so if you look at someone like Andrew Bold or Miranda Devine. These are two, just so people overseas, <coughs> these are two uh, conservative <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if you're in America, it's sort of, you know, Fox I guess and cool too. Rush Limbaugh and cool too, yeah. The, the, if you go through their body of work, there's probably about 5% of the population who would get away unscathed, you know. If you are uh, slightly left, if you read any of the Fairfax papers, if you are supportive of uh, asylum seekers, if you're supportive of marriage equality, if you um, are an atheist, like any of those groups are made out to be the demon by, you know, the conservative right. And it means, well, who's, who's left, you know? If you're on welfare, you're, you're trash, you know? So anyway, it's, very, it's a clever game. And the thing is newspapers are dying and I, for one, I'm like ding dong, you know? Yeah, I would, I would agree. The thing that, and as you, as you walked in, there's a news story in the, in the just <coughs> popped up on Twitter just before you came in that, our old customs um, department that every country has a customs department and they customs and immigration, but they've renamed it in Australia to the Australian Border Force. Yeah. Because everything's... Protect in- them. Protect us. We need a force. Force. Um, they're doing an operation in Melbourne, an on-the-street operation in Melbourne targeting visa um, fraud. Mm. And... You can bet your bottom dollar they're not going to stop any white people. Oh, no, absolutely not. You know, that'll be profiling. But if you look at the figures of those people who overstay, it's English, Irish, <laughs> Brazilians. New Zealanders. New Zealanders, yeah. you know. <laughs> stop any, stop the Liverpoolians, you know. Yeah. Any Kiwis, stop them, throw them out. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, that's just more sort of. Just fear-mongering. But that's what these newspapers do at a political level. That's what this, like two, three weeks ago, I read it in the Financial Review online um, that the current right-wing government here in Australia went to the Department of Defence and said, we need something to announce every week between now and the election. We don't really mind what it is. So the 
Financial Review said that. Yeah. They have a source that said that. Yeah. Yeah. That <clears throat> wouldn't surprise me, you know. If you look at, like, successful conservative governments around the world, figures surge when there is either a threat to the nation's safety or a perceived threat. So if you know that and you're cynical like myself, then you would imagine that they will try and not only perpetuate any threat but also try to enhance it. You know, you look at Abbott's language on um, ISIS, they're coming for us. They're his words. You know, no one in any position of leadership around the world is using that sort of language, you know. Death cult, 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 the death cult's coming, they're coming for us. So how do you feel about that? You feel afraid. And then if you're afraid and they go, we're going to protect you. Oh, oh, thank the goodness. Border force is here. Thank goodness. They've, they've come to protect me. From what? From the thing that they made us afraid of in the first place. You know, I think 80, women, 80 women have been killed by their partners or significant others this year. And we're told to be afraid of terrorists, you know, constantly. We just, we, we're afraid of the wrong things, but we're afraid of the things that our government wants us to be afraid of in order to perpetuate their stability. And, you know, all they care about is winning. They don't care about whether we're a caring, compassionate, thoughtful society. They care about staying in power because that's their job. Hi. Hi. Audrey's, Audrey's here. James How is here. You? Thank you. To the studio, hey? Yeah, the studio. <laughs> How are you, honey? Welcome back. Thank you, sir. I'll just drop Don't be sorry. Down. No, it's you're good. right. We're in your kitchen. Uh, no, the studio. In the yeah. studio. It's the it's kitchen the podcast. studio. It's my podcast studio. Yeah. 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 Uh, um, it's got all the mod work? Fabulous. Yeah? How's the jungle? We're going to hang out for 40 minutes. Wow. Knocked myself up. In and out. Yeah. I'm good. I'm all teed up. Cup of tea. Thank you, sorry, darling. Don't be sorry. No, totally don't be silly. Good. We're you in your house. Um, <laughs> are you going to build some flat pack furniture? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, you've already had children, but once you start building flat pack furniture, it's pretty I serious. I love a flat pack. It's pretty serious. I love, I've been building flat pack furniture with a power drill, and it is so oh, yeah. It is so good. Yeah. When you get that, when, mm. the, when you get the Allen key on it, because mm. mm. those little IKEA Allen keys are just fucked. No, 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 terrible. Especially when you got to reach around the nooks and crannies. No. When you get the powder in there, boom, side table. Yeah, look out. It's so good. It's almost like I'm a carpenter. Am I a carpenter now? <laughs> I think I am. I put together some IKEA shells. I think I'm a carpenter. But the, that that's part of their product is that you have a sense of ownership Can around I it. That? The other part of the product is. You can't buy online. So you think you want the Sverdendarden, you know, the five-piece dresser. You want to order online. But you go out there to buy the Sverdendarden and you come away with eight other things you didn't need. It's it's brilliant. They get you in the store. Because it's like the market. I bought tea light, like tea light candles. I bought 40 of them. Why? I don't even like candles. You're, you trying, to, you're trying to make a bachelor couch? Candles what should you're be used to? only in an emergency, you know. No. <laughs> Not I think the, IKEA. the IKEA market hall, I think, is the adult version of having lollies in the checkout aisle. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, I'll just get this one thing before I go. <laughs> Do I need a fake plastic cactus? Sure. <laughs> yeah. Throw it in the basket yeah. on the way in. It's only two bucks. 
Yeah. So good luck with that. Good luck with that flat packing. Um. <laughs> <laughs> So we're talking about the MO of conservative governments, but how do you, which is what I love what Dan Illich is doing with a rational fear. He's like, we're going to be making people afraid. Let's at least make people afraid of things they should be afraid of. Yeah. Um, because I think it's, I think it's okay to let people know here's something that is actually going to legitimately injure your and harm and threaten your way of life, your, you know, uh, and so let's actually be afraid of this thing. Um, I was talking the other day that 15,000 people die every year in Australia for smoking cigarettes. It costs us $31 billion in healthcare every single year. How many people do you think die in Australia of ice, the methamphetamine ice, every year? A couple of hundred? 171. That's close to a couple of hundred. It's almost. Two. Yeah. But when you consider what the newspapers and the TV shows are saying about one and not the other. Yeah, but that's also a little bit unfair. Like you talk about deaths as the only metric that counts. Mm. When you talk about ice, then, you know, that's not accurate at all. You know, whether someone dies or not doesn't necessarily mean that they haven't had immeasurable harm on their community and on society. Well, that is true. And so mortality rates are one thing, but, you know, if you look at the damage that ICE has done in a lot of communities, if you look at, you know, rural America, like you can not Tony Abbott style, Wyala wiping them off the map, but it's it's decimated, you know, some communities in, in rural America and rural Australia as well. But... Yeah, so we, but are you saying we shouldn't be worried about ice? No, no, no. I'm just saying that. And you're absolutely right. You're, I was thinking about it this morning uh, on a bicycle ride. You know how people ask you what's your superpower sometimes? It's like, what do you, if you had a superpower, what would it be? I think I decided on my, super, my superpower is that oh, my superpower is that I am willing to change my mind and stand by that. Yeah. And that's my superpower. Yeah. And so when I come to you with saying these two statistics and you come back to me with your argument, I'm actually, you know what, James, you are correct. That mm. is that is true. I would say that to you, though, that when you see the noise made about each one, that the decimation of families and communities from cigarette smoking and the cost of society is also kind of massive. But if you stand in shit for long enough, you forget to smell it. Yeah. Yeah, true. I would almost rather have a cigarette smoker in my family. I, without a doubt, oh, yeah. I would prefer to have a cigarette smoker in yeah, my family than an ice addict. Than an ice addict. Without a doubt. In a second. Yeah, without a doubt. I would have a cigarette addict in my life. You yeah. know, I'd have 10 of them before I had an ice addict in my life. Yeah. You know, so I've sort of seen what it does. Yeah, it's to horrendous. People, and it's horrendous and it drags every single person around them down with them. It's a very, very, very tough And drug I'm very liberal with. with drugs. Very liberal, you know. Uh, but one of the problems with ice is that we've been lying to kids for a long time. We've told them you smoke pot, you'll go crazy. We've told them you'll take ecstasy and you'll be Anna Woods and you'll die. The reality is kids are really smart and so they smoke weed and they're like, well, it didn't happen to me. They take ecstasy on the weekend. Like 40,000 kids this weekend will take ecstasy. That's the reality. And some of them will have bad reactions and some of them will overheat. But, you know, probably a handful of kids all year um, will have anything serious and, and a couple will die, you know. 
but we tell them that it's this awful thing when they look around them and their mates having the best time of their life at a festival. And so if we tell them that about weed and we tell them that about MDMA and about ecstasy and they see that that's not true, it doesn't correlate with their own experience, and then we tell them ice is the worst, it's the pits, it will ruin lives, but we've lied to them in many ways about the other drugs, they're not going to believe us. So we've almost, as a society, as a community sending a message about drugs, we've led them astray. And so we've sort of a little bit cried wolf. And so now we tell them, no, 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 and we're telling you ice is the fucking pits. They don't believe us because we've told them, they told us that we'd, if we take LSD, we'll want to jump off a roof. And they're not true. These things aren't true, you know. Um, we have to be honest with kids because they will use their own experience and the experiences of their peers to come to the conclusion what's true and accurate about drugs around them. And, you know, if we've misled them, then we'll think that we've misled them about everything else as well. So we have to be, have to be brutally honest with kids. Look, you can take ecstasy and have an amazing time and you might have these lifelong bonds and you'll dance and you'll have fun and you'll laugh, you know, most of the time. Most of the time that's what's going to happen. Occasionally it'll be a bad reaction. Um, most of the time there'll be signs before that and you need to help your friends. Keep an eye on each other but if you demonise something, you stop young people's ability to, to trust you as an authority. It's the scissors of the two-year-old, the sharp knife with the two-year-old. Sort of, yeah. But, you know, that's another conversation about <laughs> drugs entirely. But you look at, you know, the scaremongering that happened in Colorado about <laughs> the whole state. Legalising marijuana. Yeah, the whole yeah. state is just going to become this sort of crackpot, you know, drug haven. You know, they made $181 million in taxes that are going straight to schools. Yeah from a substance that people are already smoking. And they saved less, so much money on policing. So much money on policing. The incidents of violent crime have gone down, you know. But, you know, and but the thing about that is that whenever one territory takes a bold step, often the rest of the country takes notice. And if a whole country takes notice, then another country takes notice. Well, they use this. This is an experiment that worked in another country. Change can happen very quickly around the world, but it's got to start on a almost a provincial level. Mm. Yeah, you you've got to go kind of soon. So I want. Oh yeah, to... sorry, we haven't really bloody. I don't know. No, no we've got half an hour. No, this is this is excellent. <clears throat> it's 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 ten after twelve. Um, I went away mm. in two thousand nine. Um, after the what I didn't think was going to be but ended up being the last season of Idol. But before that, you left Idol. We'd, I did seven seasons. Mm. I did the last season without you. I don't actually really remember why it was that you didn't do the last season. I don't either. <laughs> Because I, when I think about that, you know, I often tell people, you know, people say, oh, come on. When I tell them I don't drink, they go, oh, come on. I'm like, look, I don't actually remember the second season of Australian Idol. But I know that there was something to do with Anthony Clear and Casey Donovan. That's about it. Mm. 
I wasn't drinking, but I don't remember. It was wild, man. It was like a roller coaster. It was um, crazy in terms of the speed it was happening and the scale it was happening. So, you know, if that was, you probably used that as a coping mechanism as well at the time. Without a doubt. Yeah. I had to. It was out of control. It was. And I think my coping mechanism was to sort of shut down and pull back, you know, and become very hermit-like, you know. Um, but, yeah, I, it's hard to think clearly back on those times because it was just insane and was bigger than anything that had probably ever been on TV before, you know. And it was the first time we'd been really on commercial TV. And yeah. so it, for us it was like, oh, this is what TV is like. This is this is awesome. TV is awesome. Cash and prices. Um, but yeah, I mean, everyone has their coping mechanisms, and this was a time before even Twitter and Instagram and social Facebook. Media. There's no Facebook. There's yeah, no Facebook. Isn't that wild? Yeah, that's how long ago it was. Um, so yeah, my memory is a little bit hazy as well, to be honest. Right. But it was also fourteen years ago or something. something. Uh, Twelve. We 12 started years ago. We started 12 yeah. years ago. Um, and so, yeah, I didn't do that last season. I mean, I think I'd just fallen out of love with it. You yeah. Know? And also because it was the first thing I'd ever done on TV, I just thought, oh, you just go and get another job on TV, you know. I was very naive. And I was living in a beautiful place and, you know, I only had to work on Idol, you know, like five months of a year. I was like, oh, this is, I can just cruise around, you know. So I just travelled a lot and hung out and the reality of life didn't really apply to me because I didn't have it. I hadn't had a day job, you know. And I think soon after, I think soon after, you know, that I started on the project, I did a year on the project and then I went away again because I just, I don't know what I was looking for but it wasn't that. Mm. Mm. Do you know what you're looking for? Did I know? No, now. Uh, now you've got. This, I think, now you've got the, I don't the think extra anyone to knows feed. what they're looking for, and I think that's the trap. Yeah, I think everyone's trying to look for something that will make them happy or make them feel successful. But in, any of those things are only temporary. You know, I'll get this job. Oh, my life will be complete. You know, if I meet this girl and we have this relationship, my life will be complete. It's only you're the only person that can make yourself feel complete. You know. And whether that's through being present or, you know, finding a spiritual path or by just like going to the Hall of Mirrors and working on yourself and know that you, you are the source of all your happiness, then, you know, that's your first step, I reckon. And people go, what are you looking for? You know, what will make you happy? What do you want to do? None of us know. We think we do, but it's all temporary, you know. Like... We have to, we're here on earth, like we're gonna, we all want to be here for the most part, you know, unless you check out. But if you're gonna be here, then you may as well try and have fun with it. It's a game, you know, it's just a game. It's a really big version of Survivor, kind of, yeah. <laughs> but <clears throat> yeah, I think, um, it's that's a trap to yeah. continue thinking that a job that. A husband, new car, a car, new phone. Mm. But we know those things. We know those things. We know a new car won't make us happy. Yeah, we think it will, but we're in a heart of hearts. We know that new phone will make me temporarily happy. Yeah. 
It's called hedonistic habituation. <clears throat> but we yeah. we don't apply that same thinking to a job, a career, and relationships. We think they're different. We think the the sort of short term high that we get from mm. a phone is only there because it's materialistic. But in essence, those other things I'm talking about sort of fill the same hole, but just on different, maybe deeper levels, but they're still trying to fill a hole. Just go back to that, you can fill that hole. Just go back to that Olympian thing, like the process is the <clears> thing that makes you happy. Yeah. Look at how many Olympians at the end of it. They're like, holy fuck, what do I do with my life? You know, and just spiral into this either it's depression or loss of any sort of drive, you know, because they've been focused on one thing yeah. to make them happy that whole time. When they get that or they don't get that, then yeah, what do they do? They've got nothing, yeah. you know. Mm. But the what was the question? Well, I was asking you. <laughs> you oh, what am I looking for? Yeah, you said that you <clears throat> it wasn't what I wanted anymore. Yeah. I didn't know what I, you know, I, didn't, I wasn't excited by it anymore, mm. you know. And I've got to say that is, uh, he's unfortunately got, he left the company last week, but Craig Bruce, who was the content director at the Southern Cross Stereo, the big, um, one of the big radio networks here in Australia, told me in my first two months of radio, he told me, if your heart doesn't race just before you turn the mic on, get out of the chair and let someone go in there mm. because it's not for you. Yeah. And that you saw that, you could have taken the money. Mm. And I should have. I mean, my, yeah, I'm sure that would have come in handy now. <laughs> you can't know that. You had no idea you'd have um, two kids. But now. he's right. I had the same feeling. A big day out, maybe 2008, I was at the big day out with Channel V, like, which was for most of my time there, like the dream job. Like we, we had the job of our lives. The greatest job in the world. Interviewing bands, going to festivals, playing music. As a young man who loves music, I mean, come on. It was the greatest thing. Easily the greatest job I've ever had and will ever have. Easily. And there was a moment at the big day where I looked around and I was like, I don't I don't feel that anymore, you know. I'm either too old or I don't get it anymore or it's just become a job. And so there were, then that was the same point. I was like, I need to let someone else do this. Who's yeah. excited and passionate about it because I'm not anymore. I was. That happened to me, Channel V, so Big Day, I was like the Lollapalooza. It's a touring Lollapalooza. It was Channel V, Federation Square, um, and it was Dashboard Confessional, and there was 5,000 people mm. watching this band, 5,000 people in tears singing every word with this guy. Mm. And I was thinking, what if Chocolate Buddha's open? What if I can go get me some sushi? Totally. And I, and I was like, I can't, that's it, I'm out because it, I no longer, I aged myself out. I was 32 when I left Channel V. So I no longer get it. Mm. And therefore, I should not be here. Yeah. Someone who gets it needs to be. Here. The thing is, we had, that was a luxury as well. You think of all the people around the world who are working jobs right now who initially they loved doing it and now they don't anymore. And now they've got a mortgage and they've got kids and they've got yeah. school fees. It's very hard to go, I'm out. To tap out is very difficult for many people. Because of the sort of things that we get tied to. But then what is your life? <clears throat> what is your life? Mm. Is your life a series of days that you'd hate for a series of luxuries that we've agreed on we need? But I'm providing for my four children 
Andrew, and I'm putting a roof over their head. I can't take three months off. But in the words of Heggy, who lives down the street, he's like, he's like, he's when he's having his second kid, he's like, Bogans have five kids and they seem to be doing just fine. Those kids are happy as anything. Mm. Yeah, but they're probably doing jobs that they hate, like asking yeah. someone to quit a job that they hate when they've got four kids and a mortgage is very easy. The reality of them actually doing that mm. is very so Very how do you offset that? How do you offset getting out of bed if you do have that? Is that is that the extracurricular? Is it the social netball? What is it? You partly do it by a bit of mental gymnastics. Oh, everyone hates their job. That's work. You just work, you know. And buying into that idea that that's the trade-off, you know. You've got to work 40 hours a week, probably it's something you hate, in order to, you know, raise a family, to afford to put a roof over your head. <clears throat> what a terrible system. You know, what are we going to do about it? Well, I just read Russell Brand's Revolution. Yeah. Um, and I'm writing to him at the moment. And I know a lot of people don't love him because he's sort of a bit radical at times. And, you know, they think he's just a former junkie stand-up comedian. But he is at least starting a conversation about let's do things differently. The problem with doing things differently is that uh, even if we move towards a cooperative economy where, you know, we all work on a farm or we all share what we have we've got to live somewhere you know and you live here in Bronte you don't want to live out in Broken Hill you know so how do you decide who lives in the places that are nice and have good access and good facilities and people who don't and we've done that through a market economy you know and there's no I can't think of any other way to do that you know, mm. and at the core of it, in order to have the nice place that you live, so you can share everything. We're moving towards a share economy. We're moving towards a place where, you know, we can work more as a community. But where we live is dominated by treating our homes as a commodity. And that means that you got to pay for that somehow. Mm. I, think, I think you're absolutely right. The current, the current system that we've got won't survive no way. Won't no. survive mechanization, won't survive robotization. Well, won't. But so what, what it means though is like before the mechanization, before the second industrial electrification, before the second industrial revolution, 40% of all uh, employment in the US was agricultural. Now it's 2%. But those 38% of people didn't go unemployed. New jobs were created. So as Jobs, say, for example, Uber's investing $15 billion in autonomous vehicles mm. and, um, you know, the autonomous vehicle is is coming and it is going to change how we as a society have and manufacturing will change. And um, there's currently, uh, I read the other day, there's a, a factory in China that's gone fully fully robotic. Um, they make components for mobile phones like the, I don't know, like the, the chip that takes the, mm. the, the CCD chip. Is that because robots don't like to hurl themselves off the top of buildings? Possibly. <laughs> Possibly. Um, they had 600 employees and they have 60. They went from uh, production went up threefold. Mm. Output went up threefold. And quality control, they used to have to throw away 18% of the products that were coming off the line, which is a lot of wasted money. That's gone down to like 6%. So you do you honestly believe that? The massive shift towards mechanisation won't mean huge 
human job losses. No, I do not believe that. I believe it's absolutely true yeah. that there will be an enormous class of people that don't have any other skill. So what do you do? And I've, I've talked to other people on this show, Alexa Clay's uh, economic uh, historian that I had on this show, and she talked about, and parts of Europe are exper experimenting with it, universal basic income. Like mm. you just get money yeah. and that money is what keeps the society going. And But then what do you do? What do you do with your life? You know, Whatever you want to do with your exactly. life. Isn't that interesting? You volunteer. Isn't it great? You help out. You create music. You go and farm. You surf. Like the UBI, like universal basic income is amazing. But like how would you even begin to pitch that to a society that's ingrained in you work hard and when I work hard I get this and if you don't work hard, you don't get anything. I don't know. Maybe we can get some of those subheaders <laughs> to make that be the norm. And part of the way you pitch it is that you tell them that they already do. Like you're paying a massive welfare bill at the moment. When you tell them that it'll be less, in most you know yeah. models of universal basic income. I think the welfare bill is actually less. But what you have to convince people of doing, people have worked hard their whole lives, is that you are going to, without preconditions, give people money for doing nothing. It's hard to swallow for people who, A, have worked hard all their life and, B, for people who believe it's sort of um, dog-eat-dog -dog sort of society that we're meant to believe in. But I like it. I like it a lot. I, it's I, just not, it's just, it's so far away. It's not for everyone. But like you said, a provincial change can lead to a, exactly, a, a, a change on a sort of slightly larger regional area mm -hmm. and then perhaps a, a state, maybe one city. Yeah. And maybe it goes from there. I think Switzerland are sort of thinking about doing, I think like parts of Quebec are doing it for poorer communities. Hmm. It'll take a little while to get the model right. But I think it, uh, I would, this is me personally, I mean, the great challenge of all of this is how to communicate such hot-button reactionary topics effectively. Like how do you, like, like the, one, the big one for me is climate change. How do you have that conversation, begin that conversation with with, with people who have lived an entire life um, believing something completely different. Like gun control is a perfect example. How do you even begin that conversation in the States with the absolute tragedy that happened yesterday with that reporter and the cameraman murdered live on air? How do you even begin to have that conversation with people who are so entrenched in their position? You can't wait for them to die out because, I mean, Christ, there's people who are alive now whose grandfathers fought in the Civil War and they knew them. So their racism has come from 1850, yeah. all right, in the States. And that's why it still exists, Yeah. right? So how do you have that conversation without waiting for 150 years? Well, you, you work on the middle to start with. Yeah. You know, people who are on the extreme of either side of a debate, they're going to be very inflexible. So you work very hard on the middle. And sometimes you have to, when you go into something and you want change, you have to be prepared that that change isn't going to happen in your lifetime. But that doesn't mean it's not worth fighting for. You know, there are people who fought for race relations in the US, black men and women, who 
died well before sort of the 1960s. But their efforts in the 1890s and the 1920s still mattered. And so if you believe that the only things worth fighting for are the things that you're certain you're going to see change in your lifetime, then I call bullshit, you know. You have to be okay with fighting for things that eventually will create change. How does that work when we have terms of government that are four years long? But they are beholden to us, so you don't work on them. You work at the ground level. Look, look at the conservative media and the conservative politicians on climate change. In the last, even in the last three years, they've had to actually start towing the line, you know, because the groundswell of understanding mm. has been that, you know, this is happening, this is real, you know, and you can deny it all you want, but eventually you're going to pay for it because you're, electorate disagree with you and so that's how you do it you know they'll listen when their electorate is saying look do you think tony abbott wants gay people to get married no will he allow a free vote soon will he probably have to change his party platform soon yes because it'll be about 80 percent support soon so it doesn't become about what they believe it becomes what is viable for them to stay in government and the fact that we have a democracy in this country of Australia that allows Amazing. that sort of stuff is incredible. It really, really is. Amazing. I'm probably going to have to let you go, but I'm I'm just so grateful that you came, Jim. I really, really, really am. And I think this should be a two-part special. You okay, come, well, you'll have to come back for part two. But I think it's interesting that this isn't the first time you and I have had a conversation like this. You and I have talked like this. Oh, yeah, we just got it on, buddy. Yeah. Recorder now in the, yeah. on the, in the technology. In the Zoom. But it, what's interesting, I think, you know, it, it goes to a lot of people would probably have no idea that those guys on Idol <laughs> well, in the back been, rooms. I reckon they've been very disappointed with this podcast. <laughs> I think they wanted us mainly to talk about Courtney, help me out here. <laughs> Murphy. Courtney, Courtney Murphy. Murphy. You know? Yeah. Uh, and... Like when we first heard Lisa Mitchell, but we didn't talk about that. They've been absolutely distraught. They've tuned in for a podcast. They think it'd be about reminiscing about, about Australian days Idol. Of Idol. And yeah. talked about bloody monk-like lefty bullshit. Yeah, <laughs> bloody hell, guys. Why don't you read The Guardian and tune into the ABC and bloody take your shoes off. My shoes are off. Kumbaya. You're at an Islander house, mate. There's shoes off here. <laughs> um, so I'm sorry. We should do another podcast. Rem, we'll, look, we won't disappoint you. We'll do uh, a less lefty, more Channel V Idol reminiscing yes. show. Submit your questions to hashtag. No, no. Send Osher email oh. at gmail dot com. Osher email at gmail. Send Osher email at gmail. Send him an email. Oh no, send Osher email at gmail dot com. Why would you do that? Send you an email. Send me an email at send Osher email. Yeah. <sighs> Osh, that's just. You simplify, simplify, simplify. <laughs> anyway, it's been lovely. Uh, send the emails and we'll do a backup. We'll do a follow-up adventure. Yeah, I look forward to it. Um, I'm going to take your photo. Sure. Okay. Thank you, James. Thank you. <laughs> that, my friends, was James Matheson. You can follow James on Twitter at James, M-A-T-H-I-S-O-N. Let him know you heard him here on the show. Reach out to him. Let him know you heard him. Show him some support. Get on board. 
get on board now because in a couple of months, I can't wait to see what he's going to come up with. Um, the guy's amazing, as you can hear. You can subscribe to the show if this is your first episode. There's 99 others to choose from. The last 50 are on iTunes, but before that, you'll find them on osherginsberg.com or some of the other podcasts app go. Some of the other podcast apps go further back than that. Um, then, so I, I know for sure Pocket Casts goes further back, and I think o- Overcast goes further back than 50. Um, but you can also find them in SoundCloud. They're all in SoundCloud on the SoundCloud app. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and you can email me, sendosheremail at gmail.com. So that's it, episode 100. We did it. We did it. I can't even believe it. All I did was just do it every week, and now we're at 100. Now there's a body of work there. It's bonkers, right? <laughs> anyway, I've got to go. Um, the little one's having a friend sleepover, and uh, I think we're going to go out and get pizza or pit burgers or burgers pizza or, or something. I don't know. Maybe, yeah. I'm about to go out on a Saturday night with a couple of giggly 11-year-olds and I'm going to absolutely fucking love it. <laughs> so thank you so much uh, for being here. You're awesome. I love you. Until we talk next week, sleep well and dream of beautiful things. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.